Well, good morning, Alice Drive. My name's Delmar Pete. I'm the campus pastor. It's uh, nice to be here today speaking to everybody, no matter how you're listening. Um, but, you know, just listening to Pastor Clay backstage, I'm reminded just of the vapor that is life that we hear of Scripture speaking of. And even as we enter this Memorial Day weekend, I can't help but just be so grateful for those who would have given their vapor so we can sit here today and talk about Jesus and have the freedoms we have. So that being said, would you mind standing with us? We're going to pray in honor of all of those who have um, gone before us and given their life so we could be here today. Let's pray. God, we are humbled and grateful um, for your example as yourself on the cross, dying for us that we may have life, that we may have freedom found in the forgiveness of our sins. And God, uh, we would be so humbled that others would choose to mimic you and how they would give their life so we would have uh, freedom in this land. I just uh, pray for those right now who still feel the weight of the burden of loss, that you would just give um, comfort. God, that you will give that peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we thank you for, uh, for all the hope that we have in you, knowing that we will see many of our brothers and sisters again one day with you in heaven. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, my name is Delmar. I'm the campus pastor, and we are in a series. We've been going through the book of Judges. So if you haven't been here just to catch up to speed, this is that space in Scripture where God told his people, get on into promised land, all right? And once you get into promised land, I want you to do this. Conquer it, be holy in it, and don't be like the people in it. That's it. Just go in there, be holy, don't be like everybody else. That's the one mission well, they had one job to do, and they go into there, and instead of um, being their own culture, what do they try to do? They become just like it, right? They partner with the culture. And I think there's a lot to be said in there about what happens when you partner with the culture, you always become enslaved to the culture, right? And that's what they did. They started worshiping their idols. So what would God do? God would allow them to be subject to uh, oppression, so that way they would remember to call upon him, and then he would send him a judge. This is a cycle we see time and time again. But there is a literary device used in Scripture three times, especially in this book. This is really important. If you're a note taker, write this down. This is set in there towards the beginning, in the middle. And it's the last thing in the book, which he's trying to show that throughout this entire book, nobody really changes, which is kind of sad. But here's the line that's used over and over again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we also see another line um, that kind of counters that one oftentimes in this book, and that is this. They were doing what is evil in the eyes of God, which is showing, right, that many times what is good in our eyes, if we look at it through God's perspective, is actually evil. And in the middle of all this, what does God do? He uses these judges who you never would think he would use coming out of left field. So today what we're going to be doing is concluding this series, and we're talking about the last judge. Now here's the thing. It's a double-edged sword because you already know this judge before I even say their name. And the second I say the judge's name, you're already going to have a picture of who it is, right? The last judge we're talking about today is Samson, right? Now, when I say Samson, you already got someone in mind, right? It's probably, on some level, some long-haired, ripped alpha male, right? On top of that, who's been blessed by God, right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You may not want to be a long-haired, ripped alpha male, okay? 
But chances are there is some ideal version. You're like, Lord, I'd love to have that, right? I'd like to be that. And then on top of that, to be blessed by God. Listen, we all want this on some level. And he's got quite a healthy arc in Scripture. But there's two things that we're really going to hone in. You already know them as well if you have some kind of church background. And that is this. The first thing, and this is how I remember it as a kid, when his hair is long, Samson's strong, right? We know that, right? Now here's the thing. He's not strong because there's magical pixie dust residing in his hair like a fairy. That's not why he's strong. The reason he's strong is because before he was even born, he was commanded by the Lord to not cut his hair for a reason that we'll get to. And as long as he was submitting to that, he had his strength. Do you see this? His strength was an act of submission to God, right? That's really what it was. It wasn't magic. And the second thing that we know about Samson is his fantastic ending, right? This is like the closest Braveheart ending we get in Scripture, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like, when's the last time you ripped down a house? I haven't, right? Like, like it's pretty epic, right? And, and, and for that reason, sometimes it can seem a, a little unrelatable, right? Because like, I don't have that kind of strength. When's the last time you got so mad you just chunked your lawnmower across the yard? Like, not recently, right? But here, here's the thing I, I would submit to you today. Sure. As big as his last moment is for Samson, it's actually more meaningful for you here today. There's actually more significance behind Samson's last moments for us here today than maybe even in his own lifetime. So what we're going to do, I want to start at the end. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me kind of set you up what's going on. Samson at this time, his hair's been cut. His strength's been depleted. He's been made a prisoner. They've gouged both of his eyes out. They got him working down in a mill doing slave work, basically. And all the Philistines, the enemies who, who are pressing God's people, they've gathered. Scripture said there's around 3,000 or more. So you've got all the high-ranking military, all the popular people, all the political people. They're all gathered, and they're gathered for one reason, to celebrate Samson's demise. I'm going to tell you what, you might not can identify with his strength, but I'll tell you, I believe every single human who's lived long enough can identify with a little bit of that weakness, can't you? Every single one of us has found ourselves in a place of weakness where maybe you didn't ask for it, maybe you did contribute to it. I don't know it, but when you walked in a room, even though you might not have seen it, everybody was looking at you, right? And this, this is the story. The Philistines are all gathered. They're there to celebrate Samson's demise. And what do they say? They say, bring Samson out so that he may entertain us. Literally, bring him out like a trinket. Could you imagine like how Samson feels? At that time, he can't see, but he can hear. And when they're dragging him out, he's hearing all the cheering, all the jeering, right? And what, what does he know? He knows, though he can't see anything, he knows all of that mocking is on him. On top of that, he can't see anything, but he could smell, no doubt. He could still smell the sacrifice that was being offered up to a pagan god in celebration of his demise, standing for everything that he was supposed to devote his life to standing against. How do you think he felt? I tell you, he felt horrible. And here's a question I have to ask. When your life's plans fall apart, when you don't feel blessed, what do you do? 
What do you say? Maybe it's some version of God, why? It's a fair question, right? Or maybe it's some version of God, help, right? Or maybe it's some version of something I can't say up here today, but we've all said things. If you've gotten hard enough, listen, you oftentimes break just as much as your situation broke around you, right? We can sit here and try to play the strong card. We're humans. And now what does Samson do? Oh, man, look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. This is Samson's last words, everybody. Let's go out with a bang. Ready? And Samson says, let me die with these Philistines. That's pretty epic, right? Like, like how strong are you? They're like, they've, they've captured you. Your eyes are gouged out. And you're like, all right, let me die with them. And then what do we see happens? He pulls down the pillars. The structure falls down. Everyone, he, the whole Philistine nation is pretty much crippled that day, liberating God's people. That's an awesome story. Except this, the point of the story is not this. Well, just find your pillar and push it. Come on, you've heard that sermon. Oh, listen, God's just placed a pillar in front of you. You just pray for his strength, push it. Sow your seed, whatever, we can go down that road, right? But like, I'm just saying, we've heard that. The point of the story is not God helps those who helps themselves. The point of the story is not you got this or you're enough or just keep going or just keep swimming. The point is none of that, right? There is a point of this story and it's epic. And it loses all of that when we try to put a little platitude to it. It is so much greater for such a different reason. And it's not because Samson's strong. It's not because he puts it all on the line. It's actually quite the opposite, and it has implications today. But in order for us to get there, we have to go back to see the whole story with the full context. So we're going to go to where Samson, right before his life began, right before he was conceived, we're going to see in chapter 13, if you, if you go back here, we're going to see just, to see the whole story, you got to see it from the beginning. Look at, look at verse 1, chapter 13. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that language we were talking about. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and not drink wine or strong drink or eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child should be like a Nazarite. God from the womb, and shall be save Israel from the hand of his Philistines. So as I'm reading that, probably a couple things are bubbling up to you, right? The first thing is this. Samson's mom was barren. She couldn't have a child. And that's significant because in all of Scripture, whenever we see women who are barren, having, having children, um, God always informs them of their child's purpose before they're born, which says a lot about how God views us as humans, right? But he says their purpose. Like we see this, Isaac, right? Abraham and Sarah, they have Isaac. And they know before Isaac's born, the reason you're giving this child is he is your heir to begin a nation with, right? Then you also have Samuel, whose mother Hannah knew before Samuel's born. This child is to be dedicated to the temple because for his entire life, he's calling a people to live holy. And now you have Samson, right? Samson here, 
who's given some pretty specific, unique orders, and that is this. He's going to be a Nazarite. Now, this wasn't something way out of their context. Numbers chapter 6 lays out what it means to be a Nazarite. She already knew what this was when God told her. And Nazarite was three things, right? In addition to like living by the, the law of God, they were to abstain from alcohol, not have their hair cut, and don't touch dead bodies. Now, some of us might be like, well, that's a little weird. Why, would, why, would, why those three things? Well, think about it. If you're doing those three things, most so, social circles, you're going to feel some tension. You're going to feel out. And what it is, is a Nazarite was supposed to be a representation of how God's people should be holy and should stand out. Basically, he's an object lesson. And he says, listen, you're going to live your life this way, and you're going to kill Philistines. There you go. That's your job. Enjoy it. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I would have, how would you have liked to known exactly what you were supposed to do in your life before you were born? Come on. Like, how would you like to go home today, turn over your birth certificate, you'd be like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Oh, at the age of 35, you're supposed to get that job. Oh, what? And then this is going to be your kids, right? Oh, this is going to be your good grandkid, and this is going to be the one you ain't never going to let sleep at your house. You know what I'm talking about? Like, how would you like to know, like, your life? Who wouldn't sign up for that? So that way I could know if I'm honoring God. Any of you ever made a decision? You're like, God, I don't know if right now I'm being cautious or a coward. Any of you ever made that? Come on. I have. How would you like just to know? I'd be like, point me in the direction I'm going to walk. But then as I really ran that, like, through me this week, God was like, well, would you, though? Because you got a pair of shoes. And now some of y'all might, might follow me in this. I think there's a lot of y'all in here. Y'all probably got a pair of shoes. And these are your nice shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Like these are your shoe shoes. You got your shoes like your Crocs that you go out and take, you know, feed the dog with, right? And then you got your middle grade shoe where you're like, I'm going to work in. And then you got your shoe shoe, right? My wife gave me a pair last year. She had these pair of shoes made for me. I'm like, these are my favorite shoes. I'm only going to wear them when I'm doing epic things, right? Like if I'm speaking at a, a chapel at a school or something, I'm going to wear these shoes. And that's where they, and when I, and I like these shoes so much, I kept the original box. Some of y'all people out there are like that, right? You put the shoes back in your mouth, that's my shoes. And those are my shoes. Until about a month ago, I had to leave the house, and I couldn't find any good shoes. Y'all know where this story's going, right? I couldn't find any good shoes, and I was like, listen, I'm going to wear my shoe shoes, but it's fine. I'm going to keep them clean, knowing that I was about to be at a residence that's actively pouring concrete. And I'm like, listen, no, they put the concrete in a little box thing. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to stand outside the box. Everything will be fine. Everyone who's pouring concrete in here is laughing at me right now, right? Because what, you know what happened. As soon as I walked up to that box, what happened to my shoe shoes? Yeah, my Nikes turned into rocks, okay? So like right now I got to find something that will dissolve rocks off my shoes. Say all that. Say this. I can't even keep one arbitrary rule about shoes. How well do you think we're going to do at following God's plan for our entire life all the time? I would love to know his plan. Then I would just know how bad I'm failing at it. Fair? I mean, because think about it. How do you think Samson is? Samson knows his purpose. What do you think his batting average is? Well, here we go. It actually tells us, if you flip over to the next chapter, chapter 14, look, look at 14, verse 5. It says this, Then Samson 
went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, uh, and, and behold, they were there, and the young lion came toward them roaring. Okay, Samson, not supposed to have alcohol, is hanging out with his mother and father in a place that sole purpose was to create the preferred strong drink of the time. Come on, right? There's a whole other sermon in here about parents. If you want your kids to be holy, you can't put them in unholy places, right? That's a whole different sermon. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, they're there. He's in the place where the, it's made. And I think there are some people out there who go, well, just because he was there doesn't mean he was drinking. Okay. There's this little saying. It's really deep. Apples don't fall far from the trees, right? So just read five verses later. Look at this, verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. So Samson's parents go away, and he prepares a feast, the kind young men prepare. prepare. We're not talking about he's throwing a garden party, everybody, okay? It says he's throwing the kind young men used to throw, and young men still throw them, okay? If you, if you study the Hebrew here, it's, it has to do less with a feast and more has to do with a party of debauchery. We'll just call it what it is. Samson was throwing a frat party, okay? It's what it was. It's basically like a frat party. And he wasn't supposed to have alcohol. Do, do you see how, how we're being informed here? Here's this guy who's not even supposed to be associated with alcohol. And not only is he associated... He's bringing the kegger, okay? He's not just associated, he's the dealer, okay? This is bad. Can you have a negative batting average? I don't know, somebody tell me afterwards, okay? But that's not the only thing he has to swing at. We know another rule that's in his life is this. You're not supposed to touch a dead carcass, right? But all you gotta do is go back up to verse eight. Look what he says here. After some days he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of a lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion with the honey. He scraped it into his hands. This is really gross, everybody. And he went on, eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some for them to eat, and they ate. But he didn't tell them where he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Do you see this? Samson comes upon a lion that he has slaughtered several days in advance that has been baking out in the sun so much more that bees, which are insects, are making honey in the rotting flesh of the animal. I don't know about you, when I ride past a dead deer in the heat of South Carolina, I shut the vents off in my car, right? He's like, Oh, deer are blind. Like, he's just, he's attracted to this stench. And when he gets to it, it's not that he just touches it. He sticks his hand in it, scrapes the honey out of the dead animal, and starts eating it. And then on top of that, he gives it to his mom and dad, which pro-parent tip, never eat random food your kids give you. Okay? Just saying, if you know, you know. Right? But this is, do you see how it's this idea of like, not only is he not supposed to touch dead carcasses, he's, what, what worst thing can you do? He's eating out of a dead carcass. And, and, and what we see is God has said, these are the standards you have in your life. And he's saying, cool story, bro. I'm doing my own thing. That's what we call a textbook narcissist, right? A narcissist is, is a fancy way of just saying you're a selfish sinner. I'm going to put myself before God. 
And, and here's the tension we're at. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of his willful rebellion, Scripture says he's still being blessed. How's that make you feel? Because, see, I'll be honest, when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Samson. Oh, you're bad, Samson. Oh, yeah, you're bad. This is, he's still blessed. I'm like, yeah, because that's God's dude, right? Put yourself in those shoes, because I think if we're going to be honest, every one of us has seen either a person or something be blessed that you don't think should be blessed. Right? Every one of us has witnessed someone or something being blessed that we don't think has any right being blessed. How does that make us feel? I don't, I don't go, oh, well, that's God's dude. No. I say, what's going on? No one's exempt from this feeling. Uh, when I was going to seminary in the upstate, I got to know my professors pretty good, and one of my professors was, a, um, was also a pastor. So one day I went to class, and I said, hey, Pastor, how's church going? And he said, well, if I'm to be honest, it's tough. We've lost half of our congregation. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I sat under him. He, he's a wonderful teacher. He's a loving man. Like, he was a great person. And I'm sitting there going, what's going on? And he, he shared with me how half of his congregation had left his church because a new, bigger church came up in town that had literal lasers, right? And they were like, we're going to go to the, the laser church. And they started going to laser church. And now they're having to make calls at his church about paying the bills. And now he's bivocational because he's trying to pay the bills. And that's not to, to disparage anyone because his story continued. He said his, his congregants would go to this other church, but then when one of them's mother died, these people would go to their new pastor and say, hey, my mom died. Can we do the funeral? And the new, and the new church says, oh, we're not that kind of a church. We don't do funerals. So guess who they're calling to preach the funeral? And I'm going to tell you what I heard in his voice. I don't understand why that church is being blessed. We've all felt that. Every single one of us. And there's, there's something behind that that would do well for us to understand, but it is not an easy pill to swallow. But it is true, and that is this. God's favor is not held together by your goodness. Let me say that again. God's favor is not held together by your goodness. If it was, who would God favor at all? If God's favor toward me was held together by my goodness, man, I would have never been blessed. You would never, because there's no one good, no not one. All have turned away. So here's the thing. Here's the question we have to ask then. Then what motivates him? What motivates God's plans? What motivates God's blessings? That's a fair question. If it's not because I'm doing and performing well, what is it? Well, actually... We're going to get there. But before we do, Samson, he's got to go up to bat one more time, right? Because there was three things he couldn't do. And what was the last thing? Couldn't have his hair cut. Many of you may know the story, right? Judges chapter 16, we go there. And we see that Samson has hitched himself with a woman he should not be with, right? And she has been passive aggressive with him. She's nagged him. She's pulled every trick in the book to try to find out where his strength comes from. And if you know the story, you know he finally says, listen, okay, my strength comes from her hair, from my hair, 
which then she sells that information to the Philistine army and calls Samson over and says, take a nap right here, Samson. While the army comes in, shaves his head and gouges his eyes out and takes him prisoner. Strike one, you're out. Strike two, strike three, he's out. But what's interesting is this. It's not just these three things we see violated. If you back up and see the whole picture of his life, toward, earlier in his life, he actually goes and marries someone who does not share in his faith, literally bringing idolatry into his own family. And then beyond that, he goes and is with a prostitute, literally bringing adultery into his own family. What's he saying to God? I'll see your three and start raising you the Ten Commandments, God. So how's his batting average? Because I think there's a lesson that we would do well to learn here that Samson didn't. And that is this, that we should don't mistake God's patience with sin with his permission for us to participate in it. It's one of the worst things we could do is to mistake his generosity and his patience with his permission. Because let's be honest, most of Samson's life was great until it wasn't. And we can sit here and try to do it our own way and live by our own standard long enough. And I promise you this, the reason God has given us his word, his standard, because he, he knows you can do it as long as you want. But at, one, at the end of the day, only one of these proves the test of time, and that is what is in his word. And Samson sees that without his eyes right here. And what's crazy and what blows my mind, and I think should blow all of our minds as we read it, it's almost inviting us to be like, Samson, you are a moron, right? Like that's the story is inviting us to have that conversation. Why else would it give us all of this information? You're a moron. You've been told what is good and holy. You're literally doing the opposite. So when you wind up with the Philistines with your eyes gouged out and they're sacrificing to a pagan god, that's on you. And I can't state it enough. And that is this, whether or not you choose to live by God's standard doesn't change what it is. You can choose it or not. But God has said what is holy, and only one of those ultimately in his forever kingdom will be blessed. And I think as I was getting here in the text, I'm going to be honest, I was like, yeah, you get him, God, Samson's bad, right? And then all of a sudden I had to quit writing for a second because God was like, well, let's do some work here. Because before I go judging Samson, how much have we taken a look around our own Christian landscape? Just this month, um, Christian Institute out of Arizona did some Pew research, and it was revealed that of all evangelical pastors surveyed in America today, only 41% of lead pastors have a Christian worldview. As Pastor Bodie Bauckham said, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. 41%. And how does that trickle down into the Christian conversation? What do we see? Just like in Samson's life, where he was exchanging God's standards, where his standards, we see it happening here. Right before our eyes, we're seeing God's standard on the sanctity of life be twisted for the convenience of man. 
We're seeing God's standard on what gender should be being changed for the compliance of man. We're seeing God's standard of how we should parent our children being changed for our own eyes. We're seeing God's standard of how men should love their wives and how women should respect their husbands. All that's being changed and so in large the church is just going along doing what is right in our own eyes. I tell you, repentance is real. It never hit Samson. And look where Samson ended up. I tell you, in this time, ironically, we find Samson standing in the temple. Ironically, in a time where everyone did what was right in his own eyes, he was the only one there with no eyes about to do the will of God. Now, listen, we could talk about how his journey ended. It ended there. It may, maybe he could have got there in a different way. I don't know. We'll ask that to God later. But what we do know is this. At that moment, when he's at that temple with 3,000 people gathered, all the Philistines who are oppressing his people, he is there for one reason, because God wants him there. 100%. And what happens when he gets there? Well, we just talked about it, but now let's read it. Look at chapter 16, verse 28. Look at this. Then Samson called to the Lord. He's been brought out. He's been placed between the two pillars, right? Please remember me and give me strength only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for your glory. No. What? For my two eyes. Do you feel that? Samson's about to die. As the brick is falling on his head, he doesn't get it. Samson never, like he says, God, give me the strength because they hurt my eyeballs. Not because they've enslaved your people for 40 years. Wrong motives till the end. But what happened? Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. He leaned his weight against them with his right hand on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed his strength. The house fell upon the Lord's and upon all who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than he killed in his life. Now, I think, as Paul Harvey would say, now that you know the rest of the story, you know if there's anybody who's unlikely used in Scripture, it's Samson. So here's the question. Let's just ask. Let's ask a really difficult question. Why would you use him, God? Why would you pick a rebellious person? Why would you bless this person? And that's a fair question. And you know what? There's some questions in the Bible I, I get and I can't answer. But you know what? This one's got an answer. Why did God use Samson? How about this? Just flip a couple pages over. Go to the next book. Go to the book of Ruth. I'm not going to take you too far in it. We're only going to have to go one verse in it, actually. Check this out. In the days when the who? What's the word? Judges. Oh, there. We're right there. In the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land, a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn to a country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, what's really important there? Not so much the guys because they all die. All right. But one of his sons was married to a girl. Her name is Ruth. Ruth, who during one of the worst times in God's people's history, finds herself alone in a foreign land. 
a land that should have been being persecuted, that the people should have been getting enslaved, the people should have been getting killed. God was working in the foreground through the judges to liberate that land because he was working in the background to take this young girl named Ruth to meet a man named Boaz. Oh, so they can have a beautiful love story. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a lot more than this. Because God keeps them protected and holy in the background so they can be married. Because they have a child who has a child, who eventually has a child named Obed, who has a child named Jesse, who has a child named David, who would become their king. Who... We know from his lineage comes the greatest king and our final judge, Jesus Christ. Hey, Jesus, who was called to be holy just like Samson, yet being also God, did not fall into temptation and remain that way. Just like Samson, who spread his arms out between two pillars in rage to kill Philistines, spread his arm out on the cross in love to kill sin so we can repent and believe today. Listen, Jesus is the greater version of everything. You want to know why God was using Gideon, Shamgar, Ehud, Deborah? You want to know why God was using all of these people? He was using them for one reason, to protect this nation so he can bring himself down here. That's why God uses unlikely people. Why would he use anyone? Why would he use you? Why would he use me? It really comes down to this one thing, and that is this. God's people are for his purposes. That's what motivates his blessings. What motivates God's blessings is not my plan, it's his plan. And God's eternal purposes, that's what motivates his temporary blessings. You think Shamgar ever knew that pulling that temple down was going to deliver the nation and do all this stuff, and then one day Jesus was going to come? No, Samson was mad because he had a bad headache, okay? And here's the thing, I don't know what season you're in. I know we're all going through seasons. I know some of you, you're just coming out of one, praise God. I know some right now, you're in one, I feel you. I know some of you right now, you're about to go into one, hold on. I don't know what season you're in, but I know there's a couple of things that would do well to remind us from this story of Samson, knowing that his people are here, his purposes. And the first thing is this, remind yourself of this daily if you have to, that God's blessings are not found in your performance. God's blessings are not found in your performance. Some of us walk around all day and we carry the baggage and the weight of our sin. Listen, if you have faith in Jesus, the only performance that matters was his on the cross on your behalf. And when, when the enemy reminds you of your performance, you remind him of God's performance. But I also think there's some of us in here, we're in a season, we're like, God, why won't you bless me? Why won't you do this? Listen, it's not about your performance. God, I've been doing all these good things. Why won't you send the blessings? It's not about that. And then the second one, and this one's just birthed out of this scripture and just reality. I had someone come up to me the other day, said, I'm going through one of the hardest seasons of my life right now. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that. But scripture tells us what not to do, right? And I can promise you this, no matter what season you're in, God's plans for your life are always better experienced without sin. I promise you. 
So what are you, if you don't know what to do right now, if you're in a bad place, maybe things are crumbling around, you're like, I don't even know the right answer. Here's the deal. Just as much as you can, try not to sin. Because sin enhances everything that God doesn't want in your life. So just say, God, that's my, that's my thing today. I mean, quick case story. How do you think Samson would have been if whenever he was swinging, he wasn't missing every time? How do you think? He, he wouldn't have had his eyes gouged out, right? He wouldn't, this, a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen. But I do, would he have missed the Philistine party? Oh, no. They still would have been gathered. For some other reason, that was going to happen. But I think instead of him being there as a trinket, he very well may have shown up a lot more like John Wick. Or, if you're a different generation, John Wayne, okay? You're with me, right? Totally different. Door kicks open. They're all stared at him like, what? Okay, Lord, boom. Will done. Yet what does that say about God's grace and mercy? That even though Samson failed so many times, he's still allowed to be remembered in what we would call the, the, the hall of faith in Hebrews. That just goes to show that no matter what mistakes you have made, you are not beyond the redemption of Jesus. Hang in there whatever season you're in, whatever your season you're going through, whatever season we're all going through as a people, and let's trust the Lord because we don't know what his eternal purposes are. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a perspective that's well beyond ours, God, that we can hope in, uh, in things we don't even know what to hope for, knowing that you know what is good because you are good. God, just like Samson, didn't, he didn't have a clue even when he was at his end. God, um, there's so many things I'm clueless of. And, and God, I think if we're honest, there's spaces in all of our lives where we could really just lean in and trust in you. God, there's someone here today and right now, they just need to make it um, their, their purpose in life to just lock onto you and, and let go of sin. God, there's someone, some of us in here today that might be going through a season and we just need to repent of trying to do it our own way and trying to redefine what your standard is and just follow you. God, I don't know where we're at, but God, I know this, that your eternal purposes are so much greater than our temporary trials. So we thank you for the hope found in your son, Jesus, and I pray that it is in him we would celebrate. It's in Jesus' name, amen.